Hi, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded. Adrian, on board for this one with Renault. Hi, Renault. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Adrian. Yeah, always a pleasure. And hello to all of the listeners tuning in. We're closing in on 200 episodes. It's, it won't be too long away now. We're on episode 163 this time. And a couple of weeks ago, Renaud, we spoke about the nine key questions that uh, one needs answers to when developing a new product. And so in part one, we went through what is the target market? What problem does the product solve for the customer? What's the unique selling proposition or USP of the product? And what features and functionality should the product have? That was uh, questions one to four out of nine. So this is part two. And so we're going to answer questions five to nine this time. And so to kick it off, Renault, the first one then is, what is the production cost of the product? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question, but the, the production cost, usually for a hardware product, you have a lot of work and investment to make to actually develop the product and to also prepare things so that production is possible. Okay. And, 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 and that's usually called NRE, non-recurring engineering, you know, which includes the, the mechanical design and the software design and, and and so on and so forth and you know industrial yeah. design and uh, even the you know the, the testing to actually refine you know the, on the prototypes and and um, and the tooling and developing uh, you know the, the the quality standards and all this fun stuff including mm. also selecting and qualifying the component suppliers and the assembly supplier and you know designing the packaging all of this fun stuff it's necessary otherwise you don't really have a product right so if you develop a new product all of that you have to take it into account however it's usually not called the production cost okay because it's it is there I'm not going to say whether you make one product or, or, or one million product, because if it's one product, there's a lot of this that you don't need to do. But if you want to be able to make uh, 10,000 products or 100,000 or a million, you need to have a lot of things in place to have a certain level of, how to say, assurance that you can make the product in, at that quantity uh, at that quality level, et cetera, et cetera, you know, consistently without high risks, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So you need all of that. Um, mm. And, but this is an investment, I call it an investment so that it is possible to make 10,000 or 100,000 or, or, or a million pieces. Okay. It's an investment. Otherwise you, you can't even do that. Or it's going to be like so expensive, so slow, so unreliable. I mean, it's a nightmare. Okay. So you have to think about it as an investment and you need a return investment. So you need to make more margin. If you spend more on that, hopefully your product is better, is more differentiated, you know, provides more value to, to, to the customers. You need to make sufficient margin. Okay. And again, uh, I think another question is about the, the, the pricing strategy. So we'll get back to that. So yeah. if we take that out, the initial investment, usually when we talk about the production cost, it includes what is necessary for, um, for production to, to, yeah, to keep going, right? Uh, when you make your, make your next batch of, I don't know, 5,000 pieces, well, what is the cost, right? And usually people think in terms of unit cost because it, it's always, it's generally better to think at the unit level, at the, at the individual product piece level mm -hmm. um, because then you have your price per piece and then you think of everything per piece, including distribution, you know, maybe you you send some of them in e-commerce uh, one by one, et cetera. So, so you think about it one by one. 
but let's think for the batch of 5,000 pieces first. What are the production costs going to include? Well, a big one obviously is the, the cost of the bill of materials, you know, is the, all the components that go into the product, right? If you uh, if your product is, I don't know, I'm looking at something around me, a, a stool, you know, to, to sit on. Well, even if it's a very simple stool, you're going to have at least one uh, major part in, in, in metal and then maybe another one that get uh, screwed onto the, the round top in, in wood. Okay, so you, you, have, you have two metal parts plus uh, altogether uh, maybe six screws and then you have a uh, the, the place on which you uh, you sit uh, in this case, which would be which would be in, in in wood. But that's not it, right? You also need to think of the packaging, right? So you you have maybe a, a user manual. Maybe you insert a little uh, a little tool to help people, you know, screw so that they don't need to go and and, and find the exact right tool that they need. Yeah, cardboard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So that's the the list of the components that go into the product, and that's an easy. That's a very very simple example. Okay. Mm. I'm also looking at a copy machine, and that one has <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of components. Okay. Yeah. Much more uh, complicated machinery. So you have the list of all these components, and very often that's a high proportion of the cost okay now if it's some let's say intricate um, textile products that need to be cut and sewn this way and that way and then finished and then blah blah blah, blah. you know a lot of operations it might be uh, i don't know i'm gonna say something really rough uh, let's say 60 percent of the cost uh, out of the factory and then maybe there's a lot of labor right that, that mm. go into it uh, but in a lot of Electronic products, for example, where you have an expensive battery, a nice display, a big enclosure, uh, some um, maybe a microprocessor, and so on. Well, it's often going to be a higher percentage, right? Uh, 80% or more. And um, same thing for, for cars. Car companies, it's up to 90%. Uh, from mm. from what I remember, so the, the 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 list of components definitely very important. Then you have, as I mentioned, uh, there's a place to put all that together and uh, you know check them up and test them and and so on and so forth and, and package them and ship them. Okay, then you have your cost out of the factory, right? And obviously that that factory takes a little bit of a markup. There's an overhead that gets spread over that that cost, right? And there's some scrap when they assemble, they test, they, you know, they might rework and some of the products, you know, some of the materials may have to be scrapped in the process. Okay. So all of that is, is, is your cost of goods sold, right? And then, yeah. well, you're moving, you're moving the products, right? And maybe you put it all in a container, ship it to, uh, to Long Beach and, um, and there's some warehousing costs and some further trucking costs to get them to a central warehouse. Uh, and then they get distributed around, uh, let's say it's just in the in the USA. Well, that's your distribution cost. It's not production cost. But when you look at your total unit cost, that's really something important. Because you want to think in terms of landed cost, not just X factory cost. Because you have a bunch of things that go into this. Well. There might be some import duties. There might be some tariffs. There might be things like that also that go into it, right? And then it's on the market and you still need to um, to do after-sale support, right? And maybe some people are going to want you know do some returns. What are you going to do with them? Mm -hmm. um, some of them will maybe ask for, you know, call for the warranty, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that's, that's your total cost. And I'll get back to it later because I know you have another question about pricing. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, yeah, why I mentioned all that. But yeah, your production costs, you need to evaluate that. Uh, but again, there the, the, the key thing here is that you have a distinction between the one-off investment and 
the production cost like per unit that mm. you know if you make 5000 pieces you have that much and if you make 20000 pieces it's roughly four times that okay there's some of the cost uh, let's say for example there's a plastic injection mold uh, you know so some tooling uh, or it could be like an extrusion mold or something like that they get they, they have a certain life right so this one is sort of in between these two categories you set them up you set it up at the beginning and you say, okay, it's going to be, I don't know, 300,000 shots. Well, you sort of need to amortize in your own accounting, right? The the life of the tooling so that um, it, you, you integrate it into the unit cost of your product. Because if you, if actually in the lifetime of that version of the product, you will make a million pieces, well, you need at least three such molds, right? So you, it's an investment, but it also comes back depending on the on the volume of pieces to make. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I, basically that's the that's the fabrication cost. Um, mm. Now, when when can it be evaluated, right? People often ask us, hey, but okay, how much is going to cost? And they just have a concept of a product. <laughs> well, sorry, guys. Uh, There's a little bit of homework to do first, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to what I mentioned, the list of components. Okay, so what are the critical components for that product? You already need to have an idea about that. Otherwise, your product is really just a rough concept, right? You you, you need to identify the few critical components, uh, the few components that will will represent most of the cost of the bill of material. So that's one thing you can do. Also, if there's a lot of, you know, some mechanical components to maybe assemble together and so on, doing a, a rough estimate once there is, you know, a bit more than a sketch, let's say, becomes possible, but it's really plus or minus 60%, right? That's the problem. So a rough estimate is possible. And actually it is necessary. It is necessary and it comes in what we call the feasibility study phase uh, in, in a new product introduction process. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, what well, you know, what's the cost for the main components? Who would be good suppliers for that? Okay, and how much do they charge? You know, how would the product even sort of work? Uh, what is the most important? Once you have idea, so some ideas on these topics, you can start to to do a rough evaluation. And then experienced customers, they would tell us, okay, I need to know that because roughly I want to sell it around that price. That would be the right position for this product on the market. So that I can hope to reach these types of volumes, etc. Right, mm. uh, and then if you see that all in, you know, uh, the, the 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 factory cost would be I don't know, I'm saying something, you know, twenty five dollars, and they want to sell it retail for fifty dollars, it just doesn't work. It just the math would not work. Okay. Mm. Why would they spend a lot of work to develop a new product? <laughs> mm-hmm. When you add everything up, yeah, you, usually that would not work. So mm-hmm. they, they, they need to do some market research at the same time. It's very important. And then it's possible to do, they would do some, you know, people like to, to use fancy words. They would call it value engineering. Okay, what is the most important? Do we really need this feature? how to get to that kind of value in the eyes of the customer while maybe spending one third less of, on, on the product, right? Mm. Um, and th- there's, there's a lot of, of ways to, to work on that. If they get to that kind of conclusion early on, it's, it's easier, it's much easier to get a, a design, a new product design to evolve early on rather than... <laughs> once they have already like approved the final prototype and so on and so forth right mm-hmm. um so that's that's my answer for new products uh, you know customized new products 
I mean, custom designed. Now, if you if you uh, if you pick a supplier on Alibaba, or you you if you've been to the Canton Fair recently, and you um, you pick a sample, and the supplier says, "Oh yeah, yeah, already we already make it," blah blah blah. Yeah, we can we can sell it to you. Well, then you're trying to estimate the production costs to evaluate what is their margin. That's mm. quite a, quite a different approach, right? You're like, oh, okay. They sell it to me for um, uh, 15 USD uh, FOB. Okay, but how much can I negotiate it down while they still make a sufficient margin so it's sustainable business and they don't try to uh, do anything uh, that I would not approve of? Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, If you get some samples, uh, you know, dismantling them and looking again at the the main components that are most expensive and doing a rough estimate, actually it's sort of the same process, okay? Mm. And and then you you can come back to them and say, well, I, you know, we we did that analysis on on the product, and actually it can be can be put together probably for around eight dollars, um, you know, a factory full factory price so why why you want to charge $15 for me and then you're going to say well it's our product we charge what we want right <laughs> mm. which is which is the right answer if if indeed it is their product right not the product of another one of their customers that they're trying to uh, to also make for you <laughs> because there's a lot of that um but it's it's the right answer it's the right answer uh, and then it's it's all back to negotiation. Well, if you give me that vol- that that lower price, I can sell that much volume, and I can I can place orders, you know, that much order already uh, in the next three months, right? And then you can you see if you can get them to move. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes they will not move because maybe they they acting as a trading company. Uh, the you know they. There's another factory somewhere that has the tooling and has everything and can make it, uh, but they um, <laughs> everybody's got to make a living, right? So then they will not come down in um, in their price. Mm-hmm. But it's roughly this in terms of engineering approach. Looking at the cost, it's not that different because reverse engineering is something that already exists. Um, if you don't have to develop, but you just estimate the amount of work and and um, and everything per unit, without thinking of the development cost, um, it is not necessarily that difficult. Okay. Uh, sometimes you open up and yeah, the, you can see the markings of the the component suppliers right there. You know, so you 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 can um, you can go back to these suppliers and say hey. Uh, for this model, what is the price? <laughs> right, not not mm. that difficult. Not that difficult mm. so, in many cases. So that's mm. yeah. Um, you know what was the production cost? <laughs> mm. I add it to the list of uh, things that everybody has to really focus on during new product development. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have it in mind usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should so, well, have it in mind. Because they need to mm. do market research and have an idea about how much they can sell, and they need to have mm. an idea about their business model and, and how much margin they can make. So, quite important. Mm. Mm. And you you created a good um, video about this actually on our YouTube channel, how to estimate the unit costs. So that's definitely going to be in the show notes along with some other um, useful links. So mm. do check on those for more. Question six, which is. Definitely um, keeping on the financial aspect of this, what's the pricing strategy for your product? Well, I think your pricing strategy comes directly from your overall business strategy. If you are trying to have a highly differentiated product and there's nothing like it on the market, you can charge a higher price generally 
as long as there's some customers that, you know, a sufficient number of customers are willing to pay for it, right? And then over time, maybe there's some kind of competitors appear and you, your version one of your product, you know, maybe goes down in price, but then in the meantime, you use the margin to, to fund a, the development of a version two. <laughs> maybe you, you, you cut it, whatever, the, the pro or, or whatever. You can keep setting both of them, right? Version one, cheaper and cheaper. And so you focus over time, since it's a mature product, you can focus on doing a little bit of re-engineering and, and working on, on, on the supplier prices and things like that. Um, and then you position it in front of the competitors and maybe your pro version is trying to still trying to grab the, the, the cream of the market, right? At a, yeah. at a higher uh, positioning. This is the uh, the product differentiation kind of approach. But then th- there's, there's different models, right? Another model that, that we see often is um, there's a, there are existing products and then someone finds a way to make a product maybe that's simpler and less expensive to make and they, mm-hmm. they, they, they bring it to market and they, they're happy to sell it at a, at a price that's lower than that of the, the competitors. Right, so their margin might be, uh, well, uh, limited, <laughs> uh, modest, and that's th- that's by the way the playbook of most Chinese suppliers. Right, they see, oh, okay, this product, oh, but we can make it and set it for half the price, right? And then they they rush to the market and they, they try to grab as much of the market as they can. Right, well, this this is a strategy for for a lot of a lot of companies. Right. And pricing strategy, again, it really depends on your um, your, your business. Pricing, obviously, mm-hmm. is a very important uh, part of it. You, you, you need to you need to start from the market and what you can sell on the market for a certain product that's positioned in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You should not just pick a product, say, okay, you know, cost plus. Okay, how much does it cost? What's going to be all my cost? Uh, total cost is this, total, total, okay, plus cost of marketing and, and distribute, you know, shipping it and everything. Okay, I add 25% on top of that and that's my cost. Uh, that's my price. Well, this is very risky. <laughs> mm. um, is this product actually positioned the right way against competition is it positioned the right way uh, even if there's no competition so that people see it as maybe a premium product or whatever you want it to 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 appear no first you have to you have to analyze the market and see where there's maybe a niche or maybe a, a an untapped market segment or you know just something that the market would like to pay for or, or or even maybe is actively looking for and that's where you want your to, to put your product uh, yeah. ideally right if that's not possible okay fine there's a lot of competition um, you try to to align on that uh, and maybe make it a little bit better with one feature that the others don't have or maybe fewer features or it's cheaper or whatever right uh, faster higher <laughs> more cute um, w- w- whatever uh, that can be fine as a strategy too, okay? Uh, or you you maybe you do just like the others, just one parity, but then you will have a marketing and distribution strategy that will allow you to reach maybe some different um, different parts of the market that the competitors mm-hmm. are not really good at reaching, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you have you have it in some stores that. Okay, certain customers will only buy it in the store, and oh, okay, now they see it. Right now, it's not in these kinds of stores, right? So, I, um, uh, what is it called? Um, uh, access kind of strategy, right? I mean, it's going back to uh, Michael Porter. I mean, this is all. You, you need to have your strategy, and your marketing strategy is basically your strategy is all sort of the same thing, and. From that will come your pricing strategy, and you know your product strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, 
there's no such thing as a pricing strategy. <laughs> there's the pricing implications of your strategy, I would say. Yeah, it's got to be it, it's got to be nerve wracking for people who are developing and launching a new product at times, you know, when they finally put it on the market. Mm-hmm. And it's like, have we got the market pricing strategy right? Because you don't want to end up uh, making too little or putting off potential customers. I suppose seasoned SMEs or large companies who are, you know, used to releasing different iterations of products over the years, they've got this stuff mm. down. But maybe for the little guys, uh, you know, hardware startups and uh, and companies like that, entrepreneurs, this is really a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people just throw stuff on the wall, right? And mm. see this is very dangerous when you you put $200,000 into developing a new product, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that's why if you have no idea about that, it's very, very difficult to to have visibility. Go for a staircase approach one step at a time. First, mm. you pick a product. You, you Okay, there's a, a market that looks kind of attractive and it's interesting to you and you know something about it. Okay, then you distribute an existing product and you start to learn how to sell to that market. And then you learn a lot of things by being in contact with these kinds of customers. And then you maybe you take an existing product and you work with the, um, a, the manufacturer to customize it a bit, right? So it's kind of differentiated. It's a bit, mm-hmm. little bit more like your product and, and so on. And then when you see, okay, here, there's really something, it's an untapped market, but we need something quite different, quite unique. And... It's really worth going in with all the resources. Then you shoot your cannonball, okay? Yeah. Um, but first, you, uh, I think this comes from uh, Jim Collins, one of his books. Uh, I forget um, the, the 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 name, but it, he said first you want to shoot just some bullets, boom, 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 and then little by little you you. You get feedback and you calibrate the the angle at which you shoot, and then at mm. one point, okay, you're pretty sure you're going in the right direction. Then you can go with a cannonball. You put all of your powder, <laughs> and you go boom, okay. But what a lot of people are doing is they get, you know, is that's entrepreneurs, right? It's really very very common with startups. Um, they will. They will be totally over optimistic and they will say, Oh yeah, this this is exactly the right market. This is the kind of product, you know, like I'm a genius. I'm a hundred percent sure that it will work. Nobody else mm-hmm. can see it, you know. Even the people who've been in this business for, for, for 20 years, they're not doing it, they're not seeing it, you know, they're just too dumb. I I know so much better than them, right? <laughs> and um and they put all of their gunpowder on one shot, and then well. Yeah, you're trying to shoot at that other um, that other ship, you know, going back to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, two or three centuries back. Well, your big cannonball just flies into the water and nothing happened and you now you're out of powder. <laughs> okay, that that's really a mm-hmm. good analogy. That's a good analogy and that's that's um that's a big warning to 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 people, especially those starting their company and betting, sort of betting the farm on one idea. Indeed. Don't, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, good point there. Uh, seven. What's the distribution strategy for the product? <clears throat> well, where are your customers? Right. What were mm. your your target market? So again, mm. your strategy and your market marketing strategy. Pretty much the same thing. Uh, we'll tell you, okay, we're trying to reach these kinds of people, and then you, okay, where are these kinds of people? How to how to reach them, right? Are they digital natives uh, who you know they're like twenty two? Okay, well, you get a market to them um, through whatever uh, you know, Twitter, TikTok, whatever, Instagram, Facebook, and so on. A lot of companies I hate here, but <laughs> so you <laughs> unfortunately, you know, for this kind of target demographic, that might be the kind of channels that you want to use to reach them, 
to pass the message to them, you know, to create the, the, the desire or maybe just the awareness that your product can fix their problem, all right? And then, well, if they can go on your website, click on a button, get their credit card out and, uh, and, 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 and pay for your product, well, um, that's your distribution strategy, e-commerce, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you need to have your product somewhere in a warehouse in their country, uh, ideally. Otherwise, if the product is not very big uh, or, or heavy, maybe uh, drop shipping it might make sense, right? Um, otherwise, if I don't know, it's you know people in their sixties in rural areas, and your product is kind of bulky, you want to sell them. I don't know a big backup battery pack to jumpstart their uh, their car engine or to and to do a few other things like that well you need to have it in stores mm. close to them you know in stores that they go to so i don't know uh, maybe uh home improvement and gardening stores or something like that right mm -hmm. so that's your 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 distribution distribution strategy and there's a bunch of examples like that right where are they likely to buy your product if your product is maybe an accessory for bikes, then the best might be to sell it in a bike shop. If if you're trying to sell to people who are buying their bike or yeah. like the really geeky people who just love to go to the store and look at the latest things and talk to, to the, 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 the shop uh, people and so on. All right, but maybe not. Maybe it's better to reach them out on, on Facebook groups uh, that are specifically about cycling and again they go on your website and they click a button get their credit card out and 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 they're okay to wait for a few days right um, and some some people for certain kinds of products just go to amazon.com is like the google for products for them well in that case if they actually search for products like yours or maybe for a certain product that you compete with so you can actually sort of um, bet against them on keywords and things like that, well, maybe you need to be on Amazon and that's your distribution strategy. I mean, then you need to decide whether you do FBA or FBM or whatever. Mm. Right? So either you you put it in Amazon's um, fulfillment centers. So Amazon does all the fulfillment or you manage the fulfillment uh, or both. I mean, it's very common for people to do both, right? So st start from your, your strategy and your target market. And usually this will sort of fall into place logically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at least there's options. I mean, with the online these days, you know, your your distribution strategy might even be drop shipping. So you're not constrained to any one location. You could be selling all over the world. Correct. Yeah, depending on the the size and weight of the product, and that's something you need mm -hmm. to take into account as early as possible. If you um, if you design your product, you need to think. You need to to do DFX, right? We discussed that before. Well, one of these X is distribution you need to design for distribution if for example you're going to have it in a, a central warehouse in the u.s and you're going to deliver it in fedex boxes well you get to make sure that it fits nicely in one of these fedex boxes right but if it's way too long or too big or too whatever well well, well <laughs> What's the situation right mm. uh, what's your alternative it might be much more costly so that's um, something to keep in mind. Also, another thing, and then we can go to the next question. If you sell online, you got to be careful. If you sell on Amazon versus your website, it has a lot of implications. So first, obviously, Amazon takes a cut, right? Um, and it, it's not a small cut. If you're a third-party vendor there, uh, they take, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. take their margin, uh, they, you know. Now, another thing to, to keep in mind is that the folks on Amazon, well, they're, they are quick to click and buy, but they're also pretty quick at 
sending the stuff back, right? The, um, the, 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 the rate of return is maybe two or maybe it's three times higher than you would have if you sell on your own website. Mm-hmm. It, it, as amazing as it sounds, uh, and I, that's just an amazing amount of waste right there. But some people just say, oh, okay, oh, it looks good, poof. And then when they get it, maybe they forget what they bought it, why they bought it, or I don't know. They think, oh, well, actually, not really. Okay, I just send it back. It's so easy. And yeah. they just they're used to it. It's, it's kind of something they expect they can do. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, what a pain, right? So, um, <laughs> and another thing is the... Uh, to, to, to keep in mind with Amazon is the, the, the two star, three star, four star, five star kind of reviews. If you start to sell your product on your website uh, and you have a way to generate the, the demand, right? So maybe whatever advertisement in, in, in Google or in LinkedIn or something like that. Yep. Uh, sorry, or in Facebook. Yeah. LinkedIn won't really work. Usually um, you create the demand or maybe you already have some demand. That you, you you and you can generate well if you have a, a product that is not reliable or for some reason people just are not very happy about it you can f- fix it you know fix the design fix whatever get to a new version and then put it on the market again and see if it does better but if you've put it on amazon already wow that's painful then it's going to be right there on your account you know that you have a lot of complaints and you know, bad reviews and everything. And Amazon might even kick you out, right? Especially if it's an unsafe product. Your, you know, your product has batteries that explode or whatever. Right? Like Amazon is just completely kick you out, including all of your other products, your whole entire account, <laughs> right? So yep. you might want to treat carefully here and go step by step again, you know, Maybe start to sell on your own product or uh, your own website. You know, you, you set up, set up your, your your Shopify or WooCommerce account or something like that, and you see how it goes first. Mm. Uh, mm. Anyway, lots of things to to think of about distribution strategy. This would be important little tweaks, I would say. Yeah. But again, it depends on your target market. Who are they? Well, you know, what's your strategy for selling to them, right? Mm-hmm. And then it kind of makes sense usually. Mm. Yeah. So refer back to part one <laughs> for for the target market. That was the mm-hmm. last episode we covered on this. Right. Okay. Number eight, the timeline for developing and launching. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's also, this is like production costs. You know, this is one of these questions that people tend to ask early. Mm. And well, of course, it depends on the complexity of the product, right? People have sometimes just a concept in their mind, but they got to flesh it out. They have to write a brief. They have to write, you know, product requirement document, we call it. And they have to to think of how, what it's going to look like. If the look is important, they have to work with an industrial designer. And this, all of this forces them to answer a lot of important questions. Um, at that stage, it becomes possible to to give a rough estimate of the, the the timelines all the way to start of mass production, right? Mm. Otherwise, it's way too early. But uh, basically, yeah, as I mentioned, it needs to be things need to be specified, uh, clarified, so it's more than just a concept in somebody's mind. Then. It's got to be usually some early work, like feasibility studies. Maybe if the way the work, the, the product works is quite important and it's not so clear that uh, it would it, it would work the way uh, customers expect, then a proof of concept prototype, a POC prototype, is 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 quite important, even if it's very rough, based on an Arduino module, based on you know three D printed parts and whatever, right? Um, all of this reduces uncertainty. So um, once all of this has been done and the main components have been picked and everything, things are already clearer, right? The accuracy of any forecast is higher. 
uh, then you need to go into the <laughs> the hard work of the, the the product design right to your maybe your if it's an electronic product your custom pcb uh, etc cetera, etc cetera, the schematics and the graphics and everything and mechanical mechanical side also all the cad uh, cad design work and every time you, you do prototyping it iterations and you test them etc okay all of this is normal is discovery work is not delivery work so what i mean here is that um, there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of problems that appear and that's what we you know we say it's discovery work so depending on what problems come up during the design and how the, the engineers find ways around them or finally fix them yeah it can take you know two iterations of prototyping or 10 iterations of prototyping right <laughs> so it's possible usually to give a rough rough estimate but really it's only a rough estimate right plus you're going to test for certain things such as reliability and so on well if you find that there's a very big weakness of the design you need to go back and fix that right oh we didn't think about that yeah okay well this is going to set us back one month boom mm -hmm. right um so you have to plan for a lot of uh, a lot of rope a lot a lot of extra time okay you 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 can't then go back go to a retailer or a big company and say okay you want this product for sure i can deliver it to you in your warehouse at that time <laughs> right or if you want it to be mm. on um on, on on the shelves for christmas in the stores you know and then they say okay it's got to be there right after thanksgiving and not one day later uh and they say okay yeah no problem and we'll pay penalties if we don't have it and whatever and <laughs> finally you you receive the products it's not before christmas it's like july the next year or july the following year as i've seen sometimes right not not our projects but i've i've heard some stories like that it does happen so be very very careful with low accuracy forecasts that's really the most important thing that, that i want to say here uh, then you need to yeah maybe there's custom tooling you need to do that you need to work on uh, some testing for compliance for some further testing for reliability durability if it's really a new product you need to do pilot runs of the the key uh, custom components and assembly etc and if and only if there's no big issues at that stage then you go into mass production right that's um and mass production again you need to order if the first batch is 5000 pieces where well, you need to order and make 5000 pieces you know wait wait for the materials and components to be to be made because very often they're not on stock and then you can start to assemble and pack and inspect and then if everything is okay you ship it out and then <laughs> it's on the water or, or 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 in the air and that also takes some time right so mm. you need to plan ahead now if you want to to think of how to go faster the most important is to simplify the product that is for sure if you can trim a few pro a few features off if you if you can use custom uh, sorry standard parts or standard modules if possible if it's uh, even pre-certified like for food contact products or you know some electronic components and so on that's very very important that really helps a lot okay then i'm going to say something pretty obvious working with the right manufacturers that's going to save you a ton of time and when i say mm -hmm. the right manufacturers it's not just good manufacturers great manufacturers it's manufacturers that are suitable for your business yeah. okay <laughs> and that are interested and that that actually have the experience and the manpower and everything to work on the development of the product okay um, mm -hmm. then of course if you are more hands-on and if you hire the right people in your team to keep moving that ahead uh, that that helps um, and then sometimes you you take some shortcuts right well uh, you you're taking risks here right so a lot of the times there is no final approved prototype uh, but then a customer would say well okay let's already start to work on the tooling because anyway that's going to take more than a month 
So yeah. let's start now. Okay, but then <laughs> then they, they find that there are some issues and ouch, okay, what do we do now, <laughs> right? <laughs> then we need to rework on the tooling, ouch. Okay, that's gonna add another month and it's gonna, it's gonna add another, um, you know, a few thousand dollars and it needs to be tested again, et cetera, et cetera, right? Another example would be to, um, to say, okay, compliance tests, let's do them a little bit later. Okay, we get the tooling ready. Let's go straight into pre-production runs and everything into mass production as fast as possible. And let's not wait for compliance test results. Like let's go into a small pre-production and at that time, let's send some samples. And anyway, let's keep moving in the direction of mass production. Let's order the components and everything. Well, what if the testing for, uh, for, for CE or for FCC or UL or something fails, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Ouch, okay, that's, um, <laughs> that, that's, that's a big bummer, <laughs> right? So yeah. you need to, to see the pros and cons. There's always risks usually in taking such shortcuts. And, um, but but you, you need to see it in the context of all the different risks that you that your company is 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 um, exposed to, right? Mm. Of course, you have maybe product compliance risk and and things like that, but you also have the market risk. You make a product and actually you cannot really sell it because the market just isn't interested, or you cannot reach the right kind of people, right? You cannot like, access to them, communicate it to them. Um, mm. you, you you have some other issues. You you know your main supplier might go out of business. Um, there's a certain manufacturing process. Well, it's not mature at all. So actually, it's going to take six months to get it right. If the manufacturer sort of hangs on and and is still motivated at that time, <laughs> right? Or they're just mm-hmm. going to drop your entire project. That actually comes up quite often you know maybe there will be counterfeit products or, or like direct competition very fast at half of the price that you're selling it right there's a lot of business risks so you need mm. to take all of this into account uh, but of course i have to say obviously compliance you can't really take shortcuts here right no uh, if you see it's not compliant you cannot put it on the market period reliability i would I would venture to say is nearly as important because if you sell products mm-hmm. and half of the time it stops working within one month or something like that, I mean, that's an enormous problem. Uh, mm-hmm. People are going to keep cutting you and, 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 and asking for returns and cutting your warranty and everything that might bankrupt you pretty fast, right? So there's yeah. certain risks like that that are pretty important, but really the market risk of not being able to even sell the product. Mm. Ouch. That's um, that's a huge one also. I mean, this will put an end to your business pretty fast, right? So you need to keep all of them in mind and, and, and plan for them. Mm. Yeah, so that, that, and that's, that's kind of number nine covered uh, at the same time. So, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, which is um, often people that they're, they're wondering, well, what are the what are the risks I'm going to be facing? What sort of uh, what challenges are ahead of me when I'm developing this product? So oh, wow. you've kind of ne- you've kind of neatly covered that, it, it, but there's 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 obviously more because there's a huge laundry list of mm. of mm. Uh, of different risks and and challenges that lie ahead. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I would say there's some big, big, big pitfalls, right? Mm. And we have something, uh, sort of an ebook about new um, how to manufacture a product in China without losing your shirt. <laughs> yep. And um, the the three deadly mistakes, you know, the, if we really boil it down, mm. number one is lack of an appropriate strategy and plan. Okay, so picking the right kind of su- the wrong kind of supplier. Sorry. Um, underestimating the amount of work and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right, like no proper planning, uh, 
wrong approach and so on. The yep. second one is not signing the proper agreements with the suppliers. Okay, mm. so they might uh, take advantage of you. They might not send you the engineering files, even though you 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 paid for that. Uh, they might not make it easy for you to pick up the tooling and go somewhere else. I mean, this you might not have any visibility over the supply, the the you know the, the tier two suppliers, tier three suppliers, maybe uh, zero visibility. Well, that that can be a bit of a problem, right? And then it will, will be now. Uh, it would be more and more of a problem, especially mm. if you try to sell into the European Union. In mm. a few years, it would be a big problem. And then number three is excessive reliance on the chosen supplier, right? You don't know who the critical component suppliers are, sub-suppliers, I mean, you know, the comp- component mm. suppliers. You don't know where they come from. Uh, you don't have a backup supplier. You don't have anything. Uh, that's quite risky. Right. So if you if you uh, don't keep these three things in mind, you will how to say you run the risk of being one more one more victim. Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of people have fallen into into these pitfalls, and their mm-hmm. projects just never saw the light of day. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's yeah, that, that that that's really painful. Yeah, 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 and uh, and these might be good products. They deserve to be launched. Mm-hmm. They deserve to be sold. But unfortunately, mistakes were made that that mm-hmm. could and should have been avoided. And those risks are definitely ones to consider. Uh, linked to that particular ebook in the show notes, <laughs> along with some other stuff that we've been discussing today. So yeah, um, those are nine common questions that people who are developing new products often want answers to. And this was part two. So check out part one as well. The link the link is here in this episode for part one and vice versa. And yeah, really good, really good guidance there. And I uh, hope everybody's found it useful. Yeah, yeah, great. It was a good topic. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.